This side, of the, this side of the room had daylight savings time. This side did not. It's kind of crazy, like, like three times as more people here than here. What's, what's going on? Super spiritual, unsaved, yeah. Something like that, I'm not, not real sure what's going <laughs> Hey, we have, a, we have a treat for you guys this morning. We have family, uh, family dedication, so uh, Alicia is going to take over here. Well, good morning. Uh, uh, I'm not sure if you noticed this when you walked in this morning. It's a little photo backdrop that we have set up with a wonderful scripture um, out of Joshua 24:15. I have that same scripture, and many of you probably do as well. We've had this same scripture posted above our door 28 years now, you know. We've been married 28 years. But y'all, just in thinking of this scripture, and it says... As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, it's more than just a nice sentiment or a beautiful piece of art on the wall. It's a, it's a daily decision in raising our kids, uh, our family, uh, to know the Lord, to walk with the Lord, to submit to the Lord in all His ways. 
and we have three families that want to dedicate their child this morning to say, to stand publicly and say, this is what our hearts desire. We want to dedicate not only our child, but our parenting, ourselves, our family, uh, to the Lord. So, with that being said, I'm going to call these three sweet families up on stage. Our first uh, kiddo is Mr. Graham Hughes with Mom and Dad, Sam and Dana, and Big Sister Piper. Now, what I'm giving them this morning is uh, a baby Bible. Something that's practical, a cardboard, a hardback baby Bible that they can use now. Hey, buddy, this for you. Oh, the crinkly paper, yes. <laughs> that they can use now in instilling in their child a love for the Lord. Yeah, y'all are great. Perfect, right there. Um, there's also a little um, index, Rolodex cards for you to write your own scriptures to pray for little Graham as he grows and as the Lord uh, as you're reading in the Word, verses that stand out to you that you can pray over him and Piper as well. So our second family is Mr. Luke LaCovra. And he has big sister Olivia and mom and dad, Derek and Ashley. And you guys, yeah, can come up. Now, these verses that you see on the screen, they're different, and they're different for a reason. The, the mom and dad have chosen these verses to be the life verse for their child. So that is definitely an anchor uh, that they can go to in the good and the bad times. Come on, sister. Oh, Cinderella lost her slipper. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and our third family is... Uh, Mr. Micah Wilkie, Big Brother Sam, Corzak, and Hannah. All right, buddy, will you hold this? Hold that. Be a helper. Let me get out of the way here. Yeah, so our three wonderful families that are just coming to say we love the Lord, want to follow in His ways, and have our children follow in His ways. Now, this is not for the child's salvation at some point. You know, we are all responsible for what we do with Christ. And at some point, prayerfully, they will make that decision at a young age to accept Him into their heart as Lord and, and Master and Savior. But this is just a way of saying, pray for us. <laughs> We're dedicating our families to the Lord. Walk alongside with us. So um, along those lines, Pastor Mark is going to um, also say a few words and call for prayer. All right, I'm going to ask the elders to come up at this time and uh, make your way behind them, and we'll lay hands on your families and pray for you. You know, um, in, the, in the church, there's so much press today, and we, there's a lot of confusion. What is the wealth of the church? Is it buildings? Is it, is it better student centers? This is the treasure of the church. The treasure of the church is God's people, and he didn't die for buildings, and he didn't die for budgets. He died for people, and it is our hope and our prayer that is, these families have dedicated themselves to raising children, uh, to discipling kids and growing up in the things of the Lord. We, uh, we want to come alongside you and support you, as we talked about, as uh, Adam, Dr. Ross uh, at our conference talked about, that uh, we need to live for Christ at home. So let's, uh, let's commit these families to you. There's, I'm sorry, there's one set of kids up here that is extraordinarily beautiful, but they're all attractive kids. 
I didn't say which, okay? But what, yes, yes. But what a, what a, what a, do you realize what a cool thing this is? I mean, we get to do this together. And, you know, God willing, I don't know. What a privilege, you guys. Thank you. Lord, Lord Jesus, we love you. And uh, we're thankful you love us and that you died for us. And you have, in your sovereignty, chosen these children for these families. And raising kids is not easy. All of us know it who've done it. And yet you, in your, in your sovereignty, in your wisdom, you put, you put the right kids with the right parents. And one of the things that mom and dads are going to realize is that uh, their kids sin just like them, and that is humbling. Uh, and Lord, uh, one of the things they're also going to realize is that Satan is going to throw a lot of things in the way of them discipling their kids. So I pray for mom and dads to, to have clear thinking and grandmas and grandpas to clearly, clearly think what their task is and that above all else in this life, not just financial provision, but spiritual provision is the most important thing. And I pray that we as a church will encourage them and feed them. And for their children, Father, we as a church commit to discipling their children, to teaching them God's word, understanding that we've only got an hour or two a week. And so we pray, Father, that in these homes, these kids will grow up to revere you, to love you, and to walk with you all the days of their lives. And we pray, Father, that you would protect them from the lies of the devil and his deceptions. Protect these children from making choices that they have to live down the rest of their lives. We thank you for your mercy and grace. We ask you that at very young ages, these children would want to know you as not just their Lord, but their Savior as well. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Where are my Astros fans at? They won a legit one. All right. Um, so everybody got an extra hour of sleep, so uh, I'm going to ask you to stand up. Uh, you're, you're nice and fresh this morning. Nice and fresh. You can stand for three songs and worship with us. Oh, uh, yeah. If you're visiting, welcome. If you're not, welcome. Uh, don't be a spectator. Join in with us. Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin. Lost without hope, no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy come in. When death was arrested, my life began. Ash was redeemed, only beauty remains. My orphan heart was given a name. My morning grew quiet and my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested and my life began. Oh, your grace so free washes over me.
It's your endless love pouring down on us. You have made us new. Now life begins with you. Released from my chains, I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was a ransom he faithfully some scripture together. So if you aren't standing already and you're able, join us as we read some scripture together out of the book of Hebrews. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. 
So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Amen. By grace alone, somehow I stand Where even angels fear to tread Invited by redeeming love Before the throne of God above He pulls me close with nail-scarred hands Into His everlasting arms When condemnation grips my heart And Satan tempts me to despair I hear the voice that scatters fear The great I am, the Lord is here Oh, praise the one who fights for me And shields my soul eternally Yeah. 
God, that you would help it go down deep, Lord. Help us to rest in what your word says. Help us to rest in the fact that you have declared us holy and righteous, and you have looked at us and said, I'm going to adopt those kids. Help us to rest in the fact that everything that needs to be done has been done. And God, that we can put our worries away of trying to measure up and, and keep our salvation, all these different things that, that we, we want to do. I ask that you'd help us to throw those away and just be done with those and rest in the fact, Lord, that you have forgiven us and you've taken care of our sin problem, and God, we can just truly rest in the goodness and amazing grace that it is. God, we ask, Lord, as we open up Romans again this morning, you'd open our hearts, our ears, to hear what you have to say. 
Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning again, church. Before we jump into Romans 4 this morning, and you can turn your Bibles there if you brought them, but before we jump into that this morning, I have a few announcements that I want to make. Uh, Next Sunday evening at 5 p.m. is our annual business meeting. For those of you who are new to Carpenter's Way, uh, we are an elder-led church, but we do uh, our membership votes on sale or purchase of property, and then once a year we get together and we vote on the budget for the next year, as well as church officers for the leadership positions of the church, and uh, if there's any constitutional changes. And uh, the last week, we had, uh, we had these out there in the welcome area. As you walk in, there's a little table with it, and we encourage you to grab one membership. Uh, but let me kind of go through these with you and kind of give you a highlight of what's going to happen next week. The first one is uh, our church officer nominees. We have three uh, church leadership teams, two are deacon teams. That would be the finance team as well as the mission investment team. And uh, nominated for our finance team is Jana Robertson. Mission investment team is Pam Hudson. Uh, And those are just yes or no votes uh, for those folks. If you have any questions about them, at the meeting next Sunday night, we won't be entertaining questions publicly about them. If you have any concerns, that's why we give them out two weeks early. We know that Pam Hudson's a problem, but uh, I'm just kidding. Oh, I saw Kevin. I didn't know Pam was here. I wouldn't have said that had I known you were here. Because, you know, (laughs) oh, that was scary. She just... She just threatened me. Uh, as for our elder nominee this year is uh, Mark Dubose for a six-year term. So make sure, uh, again, I know that Mark has secrets. So if you, have any, if you know what they are, let us know. I'm just teasing. I don't even know if Mark's here this morning. But uh, anyway, those are our nominees for next week. Our budget is out there as well, a copy of the budget, so you can review it and ask any questions. Usually these meetings take 10 minutes, 15 minutes, because we do entertain questions about the budget while we desire to have them all asked ahead of time. And the reason is, is because we're here to work together as a family, not to debate publicly things. And uh, if you have concerns, we want to hear them. And if changes need to be made, there's plenty of time before the first of the year. So please uh, take a look at that. I do want to mention that on the back of this also, there is one, uh, there's an amendment for the Constitution. Uh, It read in the past, and let me just read this to you that the legislative and governing authority of this church is vested in the elder council of Carpenter's Way Baptist Church, chosen from among the members of the church. Here's the important part. Though a self-governing body, this church shall voluntarily be affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention for the furtherance of the gospel. The change is this. Uh, Though a self-governing body, this church shall voluntarily be affiliated with the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. We felt that that more accurately represents what we do uh, we, we send our mission resources beyond those that we have. So we have two teams of missionaries. One is the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. We send tens of thousands of dollars a year to support international missions. Second group, we have a large, there's tens of thousands of dollars that we support for missionaries that we take on personally that we talk about all the time. So those two pockets of money is, is how we support missions. And uh, The truth is, our only affiliation with the Southern Baptist Convention as a church is through that International Mission Board. We feel like it's one of the finest missionary sending agencies in the world. So that's why we support them. And uh, uh, I made the recommendation to the board with all the weird stuff going on in the SBC, we really felt like we need to be as specific as possible with them. Uh, And just on a side note, and forgive me if you're visiting with us this morning, let us do a little business here because we are a family. Uh, If the church were to ever dissolve... uh, the, we would sell, the, those that are left would sell the property, take all the money, pay off bills, pay off debts. 
and any money left over would go to the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. It doesn't go to Nashville, where the headquarters is for the SBC. It would go to the International Mission Board, and that's a different, that is a, that is a group, that is a ministry of the SBC. Does that make sense? If you have any questions about that, please feel free to ask questions. We are not disassociating with the SBC. We're being more accurate as to how we are involved with them. So again, we are, uh, so the change is, though a self-governing body, this church shall voluntarily be affiliated with the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. That, that uh, everything passed by 50, has to pass by 50% of those who attend. Uh, that last thing uh, the governing body, that part of the amendment needs to be 75% of those who come. So please feel free to ask questions, and if you don't want to do it, we don't have to. Seriously, this is not something that we're going to die a hill on. We're just walking with God and trying to make good decisions for our family. So if you have any questions, you know, we're easily found. Call us. Uh, we're here to serve you guys uh, and point us to Jesus. So, okay? All right. Second thing, in your seats, you got this morning an operation, a pack of shoebox brochure. It is Operation Christmas Child Time. Uh, from the Monday, so the Monday before Thanksgiving, okay, think back, put in your mind, so the Monday before Thanksgiving, that's the last day of collection, and that's when we load the trucks in our parking lot. For those of you who don't know, we are the uh, regional hub for Samaritan Purses Internet, or Operation Christmas Child. Everybody within basically a 50-mile radius brings their boxes and crates here, and we load them into semis, and they take off that Monday before Thanksgiving. But the week prior to that, the Monday before that, so seven days before that Monday, we start collecting boxes and we load crates. So that's a whole week of service. And if you are one of those people that can't commit to teaching, if you're one of those people who can't commit to long-time things, periodically somebody says, I'd like to serve, I'd like to help out, but I can't commit for long periods of time. This is for you. you as you leave, there's an Operation Christmas Child table. You can sign up for a two or three hour period in there and just serve. Even if you don't have a good back, this isn't all week we're not loading semis. We're taking boxes in. We're, we're, we're loading crates. And some people have to register them. So if you're willing at all to serve, this is a phenomenal ministry. Um, these boxes go across the globe to churches that are preaching the gospel, and the, and the boxes are used to draw families in so the gospel can be, can be presented. And for those who respond to the gospel, they do an 11-week discipleship program. It is phenomenal. So while we're doing this here, they're doing this all over the globe. And it supports pastors and encourages them. As most of you know, and I tell every year, I've had the privilege to go on one of their distributions in Panama. I saw the pastors in, uh, in action. And the truth is that a lot of them have no idea how to how to disciple. And so Samaritan's first comes alongside them and teaches them how to use this to, to disciple Christians into a deeper walk with Jesus Christ. It's a phenomenal ministry, you guys. So it's a good one to be a part of. And we encourage each family, if you're able financially, to pack a box and, uh, and just and put a note in it. Write a little letter. They love that. I sat, I was blown away. I got to go to, I think, four distributions. And you know what was crazy is while they picked out footballs, these little kids, if you put a picture of your family in there, if you put a little picture of your family, they're like, do you know these people? I mean, it is so cool. And they put those pictures up in their room. And I, it's just, you guys, it's just precious, as you can imagine. Did you, Pam, did you guys go on a distribution in, because um, I know that Amazon Outreach does that, and you got to go on one? Well, uh, AO is Amazon Outreach, one of our missionaries that Kevin is on the board and Pam takes us often to with Brazil trips. But it is, so you got to give the boxes out and see them open them. Isn't that re remarkable? 
And we'll, um, listen, if you get to see any of the videos, I put them on Facebook and whatnot. What's really crazy is I, there's so much cynicism, and I get it, about hype. When you see any of those videos where a little kid is opening a box and his face or her face lights up, that was every kid. I mean, it is a remarkable ministry, and they have the kids sit there while they read through the story. It's called The Greatest Story, and it's about Jesus coming as the greatest gift. And it is, I, I just can't say enough about this ministry. And so uh, participate as you're able. Um, I think that pretty much, let's see, does it for the announcements. Oh, this Thursday is uh, TNT. If you're over 50 years of age, once a month they have a dinner on Thursday night. Uh, and it starts at 5.30. Sharon, am I right? What time does it start? What's it say? Hold on. I will read it. 6 p.m. right there, November 10th. Bring a dish to pass and enjoy a great meal. Okay, so there's that. And I'm trying to think of other announcements. Oh, be involved. As we get into Christmas, can you believe it's Christmas time? Listen, I know some of you are like, don't forget Thanksgiving. I'm not going to forget Thanksgiving. There's too much food. Just relax. And if you want to decorate now, it's okay. God says so. Okay, just relax. I know some of you are like Nazis. I can't believe the Christmas stuff is up. That's okay. Don't be mad. Don't be mad. Put your turkey on a Christmas tree. Decorate it. It's okay. Julie, start bringing stuff out. Our house will be a wreck for another week, and then it, all of a sudden it'll turn into a Christmas nightmare. So it, I mean that in the best sense, huh? But it's, it's just so beautiful. And so be involved. I'm pretty excited about what we're going to do this Christmas. So uh, the next couple of weeks, we're going to continue with our Roman series. Uh, and then starting in December, there's uh, four weeks, I think four Sundays in, in December before Christmas, three or four. And we're going to do a special Christmas season. Uh, thing. And, and look, I'll start promoting it next week more. And this is an opportunity. The reason we're doing this is it gives a chance for you to invite people that don't know Jesus, just hear about them. People are, people are romanticized to Christmas. People want to hear hope. And we're going to give a hopeful message because half this country is going to be mad after Tuesday. And about 25% of you here are going to be mad after Tuesday. And the rest are going to have drunk away. The ba- I'm just kidding. But listen, listen, Jesus is hope, right? I mean, he really, really is. And his coming is involved in our, in, in involving himself in our life, and there's hope and joy and peace. And so that's what we're going to concentrate on. So we're going to take a month, the month of December, and we're really going to hit the joy of Christmas, the hope of Christmas, the, pre- the, the peace of Christmas. And we're going to use a series of videos made by the skit guys. Many of you know them. Just to, just to talk about the hope in Christ. And this is a wonderful chance for you to invite friends and family that may not know Jesus Christ or go to church. and Just invite them. They'll be, uh, I want to say shorter services, but I've never done a short service. So uh, anyway, so that's coming up. So be involved. Also, I've noticed that on the prayer board, there's some prayer requests. Would you walk by and grab one? And if you have a prayer need that you want to keep anonymous, put it on that board. And, and during the week, I walk by that all the time. And I, I stop and pray for you guys. And others are grabbing them and they're praying and, and put them up there as you have need. Um, so take, keep taking care of each other as we end the year. Keep giving. Uh, I want to encourage you on that. This is not for visitors, but, but um, folks, this is, you know, we, we usually fall behind for the year. We want to make up at the end of the year. So if you're able to, great. Um, that's it. That's what's going on right now. So I hope you're planning a great Thanksgiving. Uh, puts a little extra money away. The turkeys are expensive and deflated. So none of you eat turkey anyway. I keep hearing that. You're doing brisket, right? You're doing turkey? Yeah, it smells so good on that Thanksgiving morning. And if you're, and, and another thing, and this is free, I'm not charging for this. You know, I really like the, the deep fried turkeys. I mean, I like deep fried anything, but deep frying a turkey, but you miss the smell of the bird in the house. So just, just knock it off, okay? Just cook it. Just cook it in the oven, and here's the trick, okay? This is for me. I do the turkey in our house. 
lift the skin and put like 15 sticks of butter under the skin. Oh, 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 you know how turkey's supposed to be good for you? Not when I'm done with it. There's so much butter. In fact, forget the turkey, just melt the butter. So, all right, let's, uh, let's, let's get into it. I, I want to begin our time of study together today uh, going way back. And Okay, listen to what I say because I want to teach you some things. I want to remind you of some things. Going way back in the library of sacred books that we call the Bible. Very, very important that you understand. The Bible is not one book. It's 66 books. The Bible is a volume of sacred literature that the apostles and our patriarchs considered God's inspired word, and that's why we consider it God's inspired word. And while we're studying the book of Romans, and we're in Romans chapter 4 today, I want us to reach all the way back into the first book of that library, the book of Genesis. In Genesis 15, this is what it says. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. So when he starts with sometime later, sometime later from what? Sometime later after Genesis chapter 12, where God met with this guy Abram, told him, I want you to leave your father and mother in Ur, and I want you to go over to this land that I'm going to give to your children. I'm going to make you the father of an amazing nation from which all of the nations of the world will be blessed. And so God tells him that, and he takes him out, and in chapter 15, sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision, and he said to him, do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you have given me no children, Eliezer, Eliezer, some guy with a really strange name of Damascus, who was a servant in my household, will inherit my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. So just to to bring you back to speed, God has promised this guy something specific and amazing. I am going to make you the father of a great nation. To be clear, Abraham believes that that is his task. He leaves Ur, he leaves his family, he takes his brother with him, which is sort of a problem. Uh, but, But the fact is that he does what God tells him to do. But when he gets there, he's struggling with trusting and seeing how God's gonna make it happen. Does that sound familiar? He trusted God for what he said would happen. He just can't see it. So he begins to try to help God along. So, at verse four. Then the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir, for you you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside, and he said to him, look up at the sky and count the stars if you can see. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed God, and the Lord counted him or declared him, okay, just keep that in your mind because we're going to get into that in Romans. And the Lord counted him or declared him as righteous because he had faith. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. Man, imagine for God to make a promise like that to you. It must be amazing. I'm going to take you. I'm going to make you special. I have chosen you. Oh, there's Mark Dubos. (laughs) I I was kidding. Um, But I'm going to make you special. I'm going to take you into this land. I'm going to give you a promised land. Oh, wait a minute. We've all been promised the exact same thing, have we not? The problem is, he doesn't know how God's going to do it. So, he says, I'm going to pick my servant. God says, no. God takes him outside of the tent, says, look up in the sky. 
I made those stars. And as many stars as there are in the sky, I'm going to give you that many heirs. And here's Abram's response. Verse 8. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure? (laughs) How can I be sure that I will actually possess the land? Okay, so you already know where the story goes. So you're not shocked by it anymore? That's pretty bold. God's talking to you. God's been telling you, I'm going to make you a promise. You doubt how. He says, I've got it covered. And see the stars? One of the reasons I put them up there is so you can figure out how many kids you're going to have. And his answer is, how can I really, really, really be sure that you mean this? And verse 9, the Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abraham presented all these to him, and he killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle, and he laid the halves side by side. Okay, so, so picture this. So he brings all these animals, doesn't matter what the animals are, but basically takes these animals, he splits them in half, and, and, um, and he lays them side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abraham chased them away. So what this is, is God, so remember, God said, I'm going to make you a great nation. Uh, Abraham says, well, how can I be a great nation if I don't have any kids? What are your blessings if you don't fulfill them? I guess I'll pick a servant. God says, no, you're not going to pick a servant. I'm going to give you a son. He says, I don't see how that could happen. God says, go outside, look at the stars. And then he says, how do I know that you mean it? And God does something amazing. Those of you who don't like the Old Testament God, you don't know what's going on here. God doesn't strike him dead because he doubts. God doesn't strike him dead. God doesn't whip him. God doesn't put up, I don't know, take a leg off. God actually goes human on him. And what this is, is this is a traditional human customary covenant setting. When a covenant was set to sell or buy property, when something to give a child away, when it was a major covenant, this is what would happen. They would take some animals, they would sacrifice those animals, and they would put them maybe, they would put a little, uh, I don't know, a crevice in the middle, maybe a small wash, and they would put the animal carcasses on the side of that, and the blood would go down, and it would develop a small creek. You know what I mean? I don't, I'm not using the right words, but the blood would go down. And then what would happen is both parties would walk through the blood as if to say, If you break the covenant, I get to do to you what we did to these animals. If you break the covenant, I get to do to you what happened to these animals. Are are you imagining this? So so Abraham says to God, "How how can I know? God says, all right, you want me to make a human vow? I'll make a human vow. And that's what they did. As the sun was going down, verse 12, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came down over him. Then the Lord said to Abraham, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land. How, how gracious. How merciful. He actually uses his same words. How can I be sure? This is how you can be sure. Uh, they, your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressive slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them. And in the end, they will come away with great wealth. This is obviously talking about the Exodus, which takes place in nearly a thousand years after this. So if if you're not sure on prophecy in the scripture, here's an example. A thousand years before it happened, God actually tells Abram that his descendants are going to be enslaved to a nation for 400 years. Incredible. 
As for you, verse 15 says, you're going to die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land for the sins of the Amorites do not warrant their destruction. And it probably at this point, he's going, Amorites, what, what does this have to do with anything? Well, God doesn't tell you the whole story. How, are you familiar with that yet? He gives you pieces of the story. But I love here how God adds, because we're not going to destroy the Amorites today because they haven't really sinned or they haven't warranted their destruction. But don't worry, they will. Verse 17, after the sun went down and darkness fell, Abraham saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. Okay, are you picturing it still? A normal covenant setting. They blood the animals. They put it there. God says, just, I'm making a covenant with you now. Abram doesn't expect anything else, but God puts him into a deep sleep, and he makes the covenant. He ratifies the covenant. How does he do it? By having this smoking, firing torch pass between the halves of the carcasses, the blood. Verse 18, so the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day. Do you know what's missing? Abram didn't walk through the blood. Just God. So let me read the rest of this, and then we'll get into Romans. So the Lord made a covenant with Abraham that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River, the land now occupied by the Kenites, Kenizzites, Kadamites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Thank you. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> You have never clapped for me before. Am I that remedial in your expectations? I mean, really? I don't blame you. <laughs> okay. So this is cool. You kind of know what's going on, right? All right, here we go. Let's go to Romans chapter 3. And I said 4, but we're going to get there because we want context. Romans chapter 3, verse 21 to 31. And we'll come back to this in this text. This is going to make sense today. But now God has shown us a way of being made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. Yes, Pam. Yes, amen. Do the rest of you realize what that says? Because none of you have kept the law. None of us. We're in trouble. But this is so cool. This is why the news is so over the top good. God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. As was promised in the writings of Moses, including Genesis, what we just read, and the prophets long ago. So that's the whole testament. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus the Messiah. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet, yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sin. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. Are you going back to Genesis in your mind? If you... Uh, here, here, Abram, I know you're doubting. I can assure you, based upon a human vow, that I will keep this promise to you. And if I break the covenant to you, you could slaughter me. And here even more, if you break the covenant, I will slaughter me. Cool. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sin. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Now, some of you are going, you keep talking about the Trinity. Uh, you know, I'm, side note. And where's the Trinity? It says God sacrificed Jesus, so maybe Jesus isn't God. Except in the very next sentence, it says that, they, that God sacrificed his life. God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past, for he was looking ahead and including them 
with what he would do in present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just and makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It's based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. There is only one God. And he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. Well, then if we emphasize faith, does it mean that we forget about the law? Of course not. Now get this. This is that sentence. This is why I read the first part. Only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. Faith in what? Faith in God taking the sacrifice upon himself so that we might be forgiven. There's a lot of debate in Christendom over what does it mean that the law is fulfilled in Jesus or, or we still need to keep the law. The truth is, what he says is the law is fulfilled. And I, I, I like to use the illustration of when you set a contract for your house with the bank. You know, there are two ways that that bank note is fulfilled. Number one is paying it. That's the best way. That's the moral way. Number two is if you stop paying your note, they take your house. Both at the end of the day are equal fulfillment. One is honorable, one may not be, and you may be desperate to do that, maybe you've done that, and I'm not judging, I'm simply saying that one is preferable, that's the better word. One is preferable, but both fulfill it. And the truth is that when God set this with Abraham, he knew that we wouldn't keep the law, he knew that we couldn't keep the law, so he set up a law in such a way that he would, pay the, he would be the sacrifice for our law breaking. How amazing is our God? We're talking 3,000 years before it even happened. It was prophesied. That's what this text is talking about. That's why Paul, who is a Jew, who is a Pharisee, is going, look, this isn't new. This isn't a new way. This is the way of salvation all the way back from the olden days, all the way back from Moses' writings, the first five books of the Old Testament, as well as the prophets. This is the way it's always been, and it's the only way that works. Let's pray. Father, I ask you this morning, to take the rest of our time here and help us to see you, Father. Help us to see you as you explain to us how people are saved. Protect us from religion. In your name we pray, amen. If there is a doctrine that Satan wants to mess with and confuse us on, it is the doctrine of salvation or what, we, what is called soteriology. And in this study, I wanted to get in, I wanted to name it what it is, what theological circles call it, because I want you to understand all of it, as much as you can know. And by doing that, we have to go verse by verse through this, because what Satan wants to do is confuse us, bring error, so that we think that, the, that something else than Jesus is the answer. Church attendance. Uh, you noticed this morning that Alicia was very careful and intentional to say that these children that we're praying for this morning, they're not getting saved. The day will come when they have to choose God or reject God. Our prayer is we're going to do everything in our power to help these kids see the value of God. Our children's ministry, is it every two years you go through the Bible? Every three years? Is that on every two years? Every three years, and that's on Sunday morning, right? Every three years. This is why you need your kids here on Sunday morning. Because every three years during the second hour, the 11 o'clock hour, we take our children through the major stories of the Bible within their context, and every story points to why Jesus is the answer to the question. Noah's Ark is not about a bunch of animals. It's about a world of people who rejected God and how God made a boat that people could be saved in. That points to Jesus. 
Everything points to Jesus. And we are investing them in our prayers that they will meet Jesus at a young age. Because Jesus is the solution to our problems. Satan wants us, Satan wants us to think that we're not as bad as we are. And, and I want to say something here that, that probably is the most important thing I'm going to say this morning. And I've thought a lot about it, and, and, and I, I just want you to listen to it. Even in the church today, the church is beginning to sound like you are fine as you are, and God accepts you as you are, and really you're beautiful, and your problem is not seeing yourself as God sees you. The problem with that is God loves you, and he died on the cross for you because you're not great. And his plan Every religion in the world, including most Christian religions, are somehow built around finding a way to save yourself from the consequences of sin on your own, either in this life or the next. The first three chapters, let me go back, the first three chapters of this letter, Paul spent time explaining how much trouble we're in with God, whether we're immoral, Gentile, a moralist Jew, or a religious person, whether we're Jew or Gentile. And this case was summarized in Paul's statement that all have sinned and fallen short of Jesus, Right? In chapter 4 of this letter, Paul, through the spiritual story of one man, Abram, is going to show us how a person is made or declared right with God through, though he struggled with trust. This man, Abraham, was declared right with God or holy, declared holy without keep, having kept the requirements of the law, even doubting how God would keep his promises. Look with me in Romans 4, 1. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of the Jewish nation. And what did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scripture tells us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Why is it, why is it that God saves us by faith and not works? Because that's the way God wants it. Seriously, I really feel like, so I grew up with a lot of you in the fear of the Lord era of our American Christianity, right? Fear the Lord, fear the Lord. And then it, it swung the other way to he's my buddy and my boyfriend. And we got to get back to the middle where he's, he's my daddy. I can call him daddy. I can boldly approach the throne, but I don't forget that the one I'm sitting next to holds the universe in his hands. There's a balance in the middle. And, and, and I think, I think that uh, it's super important that we understand that as we start asking questions of God, why would he do it that way, that we remember, who are we to question him? And that's what Paul answered here. Do you want to know why we're saved by faith and not works? Because that was God's way. And that's enough of an answer. It really is. If he's God, then that's enough. And I think, I think we've become so familiar with doctrinal debates and stuff that we forget that however God says it is how it happens, right? Whether we understand it, even like it or not. But he actually goes on in this chapter to explain why God chose to do it that way. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted or declared, the Greek says, righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. 
David spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous. Notice that word, declared righteous, without working for it. Oh, the joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose, whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Paul wants us to know about Abraham was that he was not right with God because of his good deeds or works, something that Islam and Judaism, by the way, we share Abraham as the patriarch of our religion, just like Islam and Judaism, but he wasn't declared right with God or holy because of his works. And I want to add to that group, the Church of Christ, Mormonism, any group of people that believe you can lose your salvation, uh, practically speaking, that means at some point you have to maintain your salvation. If you have to maintain your salvation, then you are in charge of your eternity. And this clearly says that a man is not saved by, by works, but by faith. And God wanted it that way. Two things not to miss here about Abraham. First, as I've already said, Abraham, like us, was in trouble with God spiritually. He too was a sinner. Second of all, he could not be saved by his own good works and therefore would have to receive absolution, mercy, forgiveness from God himself as a gift he did not deserve. And for those of you who are just hearing me say the name Abraham and you're just thinking of this patriarch, this wonderful guy, I'd like to remind you at this point that he pimped his wife off twice so that he wouldn't be killed. He, he, he actually told her to lie and say that, that she was his sister. Some of you are going to come up or you're going to text me and say, well, it was his sister. It's still a lie. That was his wife. And he did it to save himself. The truth is, Abraham disobeyed God when he took Lot with him out of Ur. We have story after story of Abraham's disobedience. Abraham was not a good man as God defines good. Abraham was a selfish, weak, scared man who put his faith in God and was therefore declared holy. That's how crazy the story is. He's just like you. And if he ain't like you, he's like me. This is an incredible story. Why is it that way? As we saw, because God wanted it that way. And why did he want it that way? So that we couldn't brag. The word is boast in the Bible. It sounds more religious. But that's why. It actually tells us that the reason, out of all the reasons God could have thought of to save us, the reason he did that way is so that you and I could not brag. And this is huge. This is what I was going to say a minute ago, but here's a better place to say it. Today in the church, there's an effort to attract the lost along with much of psychology and culture to tell people you are wonderful as you are. The problem is that's not what God says. And it's not what God sees. We are not wonderful as we are. We are rebellious, we are sinful, and we are self-destructive. And it is only the mercy and grace of God the gospel says, the biblical gospel says, you're not wonderful, but God is. That's the biblical gospel. Much of the church today is telling you, you're precious, you're wonderful. And God obviously thinks you're precious because he sent his son to die for you. But the truth is, he sent his son to die for you, and he said, I'm leaving so that the Holy Spirit can come and transform you because he knew what you could be, not what you are. And we stand together this morning here, holy and blameless, not because we're good people, not because we're white people, not because we're good black people, not because we're great Mexicans. We're not any of those things. We are, we are holy and righteous before God because of what God did. 
That's why we are. That's the radical nature of the gospel. It has very little to do with you. You are the benefactor of your own disobedience. The fact is that only Jesus walked through the blood that day with Abraham and God. Jesus did that. And guess who was sacrificed for our breaking of God's law, of his standards? Jesus was. And by faith, Abraham was declared righteous. There is no pride at the cross. There's no self-esteem, no self-help at all. The good news that Paul is writing to us about is all about mercy. It's all about grace. It's all about good from the throne of the judge. It's all about God from the throne of the judge through the hot pot of fire who was slaughtered on our behalf to a helpless sinner begging for help. Let me remind you what it looks like when a sinner, even a faithful servant of God, stands before God. Will you put Isaiah up there for me, please? This is what it looks like. This is the prophet of God, Isaiah, one of the greatest, most famous prophets of the Old Testament. It was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's over. I'm doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Wow. Isaiah, who was familiar with God and heard the voice of God because God led him as a prophet, sees God in his glory, and he falls down as a dead man. In the New Testament, we learn that one day at the feet of Jesus, every knee will bow. And I want to be clear that the reason you will bow is not because he breaks your knees off, but because that's the natural reaction to standing before holiness. When we see him in his glory, we will see him as he is, and we will fall on our face and wonder why he saved us. We can sit in churches all over the place, and we can read our Bible, and we can put it on the shelf and throw it across the room as if it's irrelevant. But the fact remains, he is God, and we will stand before him one day. And those of us who know him will bow just like Isaiah did. And those of you who do not even believe he exists will find out in a split second that he does. Because his existence is not based upon your truth. And Christian, Baptist, Assembly of God member, religious, Jew, your feelings about God are completely irrelevant when it comes to him. He is who he is and he doesn't change based upon public polls. He is who he is and he has done everything in his power to introduce himself to us. Let me be clear about something. God is not merely a righteous judge. He is righteousness. God does not have his own form of truthfulness. He is truth. God is not merely just. He is justice. God is not described as holy. He is the definition of holiness. And what Paul wants us to understand in Romans 2 through 4 is that there is no work we can do to fix this broken relationship we have with God. The perfect creator knew this would happen, which is why he set up this, this covenant with Abraham to say, I'm going to bless the nations of the world through your, through your heritage, through your line, through your children. And out of that line, later we find out the Messiah will come, the sacrifice. He would be in the line of Jewish people, in the lineage of David. That's what we're about to celebrate. The birth of Jesus Christ in December, when we celebrate it, that is, that is the fulfillment of all things promised. But the whole purpose of his birth was to look forward to his death. 
Because it is only in faith through God's provision that you and I could even be declared holy. And we are holy this morning. That's what's crazy about this. Romans 4.3, for the Scriptures tell us that Abraham believed God and God declared, counted him as righteous because of our faith. In theological circles, this is called imputed righteousness or declared righteousness. It is the only way sinful people are right with God, when he declares them to be such. Declared, I declare you righteous. The more we try on our own, the more we fail. But God's plan was to adopt us, and he would not let our sinfulness stand, and he made plans to fix it through Jesus. And here's how he did it in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him, Jesus Christ, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Seriously, this morning, if by faith you have entrusted in God to redeem you of your sin, to purchase you back, to adopt you into his family, you are holy. I know what you're thinking. Come on. No, seriously. You're holy. If you're not holy, you're not saved. And you're not just, as, you're not just declared righteous and declared holy. You are as righteous as God. Because on the cross, he became as sinful as you. This verse... You can spend the rest of your life memorizing it, putting it on a screen, thinking about it, reflecting on it, and it will never, ever impact you enough. Jesus Christ, the Holy One, became the sinfulness of Mark so that Mark could become the righteousness of God. And it's not the only place. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, this includes you who are once far away from God. You were His enemies, separated from Him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And now you know why. These are verses we read all the time, but now you know why. Why would he reconcile me through Jesus? Because that's the plan he had from ever, forever. And when, when we broke the law that God and the covenant that God and Abraham had set up, God immediately was going to sacrifice Jesus for it. So he reconciled uh, you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has now brought you into his presence. And you are what? holy and blameless. Blameless for the affair you had. Blameless. How crazy is that? For the murder you committed. For the people you told off. For the secrets you kept. For the inward hate you have for people. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are, present tense, holy and blameless, as you stand before him without a single fault. What? God, did you not see what I did last night? Yes, he did. Remember in last week's text? And by the way, this is a letter to be read in one setting, not to be torn apart like we're doing. I want to remind you that in last week's text, in the Greek, it says that not only has he saved you, but he continues to save you every moment of every day. It also says that not only have you sinned, but you continue to sin and break his law every moment of every day. But God continues to save you every moment of every day. But you continue to sin every moment of every day. But God continues to save you, and that's how you can stand holy and blameless before him without a single fault. So if you're having problems with self-esteem, you're looking at the wrong person. You're actually probably right about yourself. You're probably a little fat, and my nose is too long, and I got a bad haircut this week. I know. 
No, Pam, that's not what you say. You say, I like, Pam just said it'll grow out. Pam, <laughs> Pam, when you say, when somebody says they had a bad haircut, you lie to them because you're pure and holy and you say, it's a nice haircut. Bless your heart, you called me a moron. <sighs> Stop talking, Pam. Stop talking. You guys, you know what I'm talking about. You can have the best time with God in the morning at communion. You can be partying with God, and then you get in your car, and somebody cuts you off in the parking lot of the church. And then you find out it's the pastor, and it's like, hi. God bless you, pastor. Best message ever. But that's not where your hand was going first. And God says, holy and pure. And Satan goes, oh, they are so wicked. And God goes, no, they're not. I killed my son for them. I'm the one who was torn apart. I'm the one who put him on the cross. Jesus is our defender. The bad news is really, really bad. And it continues to be bad until you meet by faith Jesus Christ, who was the slaughtered one, who walked through as the torch, that blood. And to this day, he's fulfilling that covenant by saying, all who come to me by faith will be saved. My goodness, friends. Anytime we try to make your sin okay, anytime we go to a group and try, is this sin wrong? All sin is wrong. And the, the scriptural definition of sin is much worse than we thought it was. It's not a sexual definition. Anything not done in faith is sin, scripture says. Well, then how can anybody do it? That's the point. We can't. God not only can, but he has. Back to our text of Romans chapter 4, 7 and 8. Oh, the joy of those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. God wants to declare you and holy this morning. If you have not accepted his offer to declare you such, to put your sins on Jesus, and you are tired of the way you're living, and you want him to be Lord of your life, then call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved, Romans 10, 13 says. Well, how do I do that? There's no way to do it except do it. Somebody asked me last week in the new members class, why don't we have an altar call? Because we don't need an altar call to be saved. If you want to be saved, call out to God right now. And if you as a child of God are living in a sinful state and you know that, you're, you, you know that God has declared you pure and holy, but you still continue to feed your flesh, knock it off. We all want to. But God has done so much for us. How could we ever live like that? How could we ever tell him thanks, see in heaven? I'm not even sure that's Christianity. God has been so merciful and gracious. I invite you today right now to run from self-help and religion and to Jesus the Messiah, God sent his sacrifice who has already paid the price for your sin. He has already taken the punishment except his wonderful gift for which you and I are unworthy but offered. Romans 4, 9. Now, is this a blessing for the Jews or is it just for the uncircumcised Gentiles? Obviously, Paul doesn't really like Gentiles that much. Well, we have been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith, but how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised, or was it before he was circumcised? You know where this is going, right? Let me bring you up to seed. In Judaism, circumcision was the covenant setting. That's why they did it in infants early in their life. It was saying that you have a covenant relationship with God, obey him. It was brilliant. And without getting into detail, 
Every time a guy would go out and use the bathroom or relieve himself, he would be reminded that he was a covenant human. Every time he would be intimate with his wife, it would remind her that they were covenant people. God is smarter than we often give him credit for. He knew exactly what he was doing. But the question here is fair. It wasn't until he was in the middle of his life or old that God had him circumcise himself and all of his servants. So the question is, did Abraham get saved because of circumcision? And the answer is, of course not. Circumcision was his responding to faith. Okay, God, I'll do it your way. And he was circumcised. So the question here is a fair one. Was it circumcision that made him saved? Of course not. Is a person saved when they walk an aisle? Or pray the sinner's prayer or are baptized or are circumcised? Back to the text. Clearly, God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God already had accepted him and declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised. They are counted as righteous because of their faith. And some of you right now are dozing off and you're thinking about which Mexican food you want for lunch. But I want to tell you why this matters in 2023 in East Texas. Because there's a whole block of Christendom in this community that hear that their kids or grandkids want to get saved and they have accepted Christ. And their biggest concern is when are we going to get them in the water? Because if they die between wanting to be saved and getting in that water, they will not be saved. That's a lie and this speaks to that. You see, I'm not at war with other churches. I'm not war with our own church. You saw this morning that we align ourselves with the mission of the Southern Baptist missionaries as long as it's not a distraction and they do God's work. But the fact is, there's a lot of poop being taught because of traditional heritage. And all that matters is not the heritage of the Jews or the heritage of Baptists or the heritage of Church of Christ. All that matters is what Scripture says. And, and Abraham was declared right with God by God before he was circumcised. Circumcision was the outward expression of what had already happened. When does a person get saved? When they're sitting in the pew or when they walk the aisle? Is it, what happens if they have a heart attack five steps from the pastor? Were they going to heaven? I don't know, but they were intending to. Look at what we've done. We've turned this into an act. We've turned the baptismal pool into more than what it is. It's like a, it's like a I don't know, it, it, it's not that. It's God that saves. You don't even have to speak in tongues after to be saved. The thief on the cross didn't. All you have to do is say, remember me when you're in your kingdom. I, I don't des- you don't deserve this, I do. And God says, you're not gonna ha- I'm not going to have to remember you. You're going to be with me. How amazing is this story? Don't be too Baptist to follow Jesus. Don't be too indebted to assemblies of God. Don't be too church of Christ to to not receive grace. Truth is, you don't deserve it. Well, I need to do something. Yes, you do. You need to trust that God's got it taken care of. That's too wonderful to believe. Then go to hell on your own. I, I, I didn't expect you to laugh at that because I actually meant it. You do have a choice. You can pay for your own sin. That's what hell is. Judgment. Nobody's putting a gun to your head. If you want to pay for your own sin, pay for your own sin. But Jesus Christ says, why would you ever do that? I've already paid for your sin. Well, I don't want to be indebted to you. Okay, that's all you got to say. Good luck. You're not going to need luck. It's not going to be luck. And by the way, there's not a church in this community or in this country or in this world. Dinner with Billy Graham will not get you into heaven. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. He's our only hope.
You may not understand how like Abram. You may not understand all of the details. All you know now is what it says right here, and now you know. Now you know. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised. They are counted as righteous because of their faith. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, but only if they have the same kind of faith Abraham had before he was circumcised. Paul doesn't seem to like religion all that much. So, yes, Jews can even be saved. (laughs) I mean, that's really what he's saying. You get this, right? So I can say, even Baptists can be saved, as long as you're not depending on Baptist activity to get you into heaven. The Baptist faith and message will not get you into heaven. Speaking in tongues in an Assembly of God church will not get you into heaven. Falling out in a Pentecostal church will not get you into heaven. Jesus will declare you holy and adopt you into his family. And then you can go to his home, which is heaven. It's not complicated. Clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God promises is uh, only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and, and promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift. And we are all certain to receive it whether or not we live according to the law of Moses if we have faith like Abraham's. And right now, I posted this verse online and I had a couple people email me. Well, don't forget to tell people that they still have to. We'll get there. But this isn't about have tos. This is about trust. What does it look like once by faith? You put your hope in him, there's a transformation that takes place. Remember Abraham with Isaac? There's a change that takes place. But at the moment of salvation, you don't have to do anything to be forgiven, declared holy, and made right with God. Nothing. It is done, Pam. I'm going to have you sit up here next week because (laughs) you're helping me. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scriptures mean when God told them, I have made you the father of many nations. I really messed up this verse. I'm on 17. Can we go back? See if you can find it. Is it Louise or is it Noah? Okay, Noah, see if you can find this. But I'm going to go back a few verses, okay, because you've got to hear this. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. So the promise received by faith It is given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham's. And the reason I reread that is because I want to make it clear that it is through faith alone in Christ alone that there is salvation. Faith alone in Christ alone. Happy Reformation Day for those of you who know what I'm talking about, because that's what that is. Faith alone in Christ alone. Now I've got to read through the rest of the chapter. Here we go, real fast. For Abraham is the father uh, of all who believe, That is what the scriptures mean when God told them, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. And what does that life-bringing faith look like? Even when there is no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping and believing that he would become the father of many nations. That is the kind of faith Abraham had. 
For when God said to him, this is how many, this is how many descendants you will have, and Abraham's faith had, did, not, uh, had, did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God was able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him. Faith alone. Christ alone. The one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins and he was raised to life to make us right with God. You, you get it? I, I know we're still looking under the hood. We still pulled the spark plug out. We're still gapping the spark plug. But you've got to know this stuff because pastors and pulpits like this are telling you other stuff. This is the whole enchilada. This is soteriology. This is how a person goes from death to life by faith in Christ alone. And after, that's when you jump into the church. That's when you start serving. And the more you serve and the more you walk with God, the more you run from sin. We'll talk about that coming up. But I want to make it clear that you are not a good Christian person because you haven't committed adultery or because you grew up in a church or because your uncle or grandfather was a Baptist preacher or even because you've been baptized. You are made pure and holy if by faith you have trusted God to send Jesus as a sacrifice for our sin when we broke our covenant with him. And that is the only way to be saved. It's the only way God made. Why? So that you and I can't brag about it. And frankly, a lot of us need to get off Facebook because we're bragging that we're better than everybody else. And the truth is, we have been redeemed by a merciful God who loves us more than we love ourselves so that we could be adopted into his family. And our job down here isn't to keep America healthy or great. It isn't even to make America government compassionate. It is to make sure that every man, woman, and child knows that there is salvation through faith, through Christ alone. No matter who you are, Gentile or Jew, moral or immoral, religious or atheist, there is salvation in faith through Christ alone. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this book that keeps reiterating our hope in you alone. Father, I pray that we would be a people, we would be a family, Father, who are committed to the gospel above everything else, above worship experiences, above counting baptisms, Above, above, above walking aisles, above everything else, may we put our hope in you. And may we invite others to know you through your son, Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. And we're so glad you loved us first. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Bible study is going to start in 10 minutes.